on this computer and then I'll turn on the video. Hi everyone, my name is Amanda Lee's Love. I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia as I was diagnosed with it 10 years ago. And welcome to the podcast, Fibromyalgia Real Solutions with Amanda Love. Today's guest is Melissa Tower, is a national board certified functional medicine health coach trained at the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy She's also a WALS protocol certified professional and RE code coach. And she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at the age of 14 years old. And Melissa spent over 20 years declining in the medical system with no hope of improving. She was chemically bound with severe pain, brain fog, fatigue, and stomach issues. In 2016, she found health through biohacking Functional Medicine, and books by Dave Asprey, Dr. Dale Brenson, Dr. Terry Walls, and Dr. Ben Lunch. She figured out her personal 36 variable formula that helped her get her brain back, decrease pain, and do laundry possible again. Melissa had to do this on her own, but through health coaching, you can have someone as your guide. Hello, Melissa. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to talk with you. So how was it being diagnosed at the age of 14? It was awful. I mean, this is in the 90s, so there was no help whatsoever. Um, just being discounted because everyone also said, you, you're too young to be this sick. Uh, I was high achieving academically and a high achiever for track and field. So oh, I was actually training for the Olympics at the time. So when I I came wow. home wheelchair bound and could not walk. Nobody knew what was going on with me, just dealing with everything of pain, fatigue, brain fog, sleep issues. So it was just like a lot of people experienced back and forth from doctor to doctor. No one knew people discounted me telling me it was all in my head. And then of course, overly medicated. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy at all. Yeah. And, and at that age, you don't have anybody to really like support you besides your family. Right. And they don't know how to support you. Right. And I was just starting high school at a new high school and, and I did not know what to do. My parents didn't, my family didn't know what to do as well because we didn't understand what was going on. And of course you have so much trust for the doctors that they're supposed to know what's going on. (laughs) Is that true? So that's where it all started. Yeah, I I was diagnosed 10 years ago at 20. So I I can't imagine being diagnosed that young. So were you like dealing with health issues before you were diagnosed or did it all suddenly did, did it just like come on? I know you were like preparing for the Olympics and stuff. So it's funny because I'd always been a sickly kid. I guess I was always really mm-hmm. sensitive with allergies and asthma. Yeah. I would get pneumonia quite frequently, very klutzy. And the severe growing pains, which I know comes up a lot in our community, is an interesting thing. I just thought that was normal. Like we would go to amusement parks and all that stuff. And after a long day of walking around, I would be in the most horrible pain. My legs would hurt so bad. And even playing sports, I would always just come home with injuries and they just told me oh you just have growing pains 
So I thought this was normal for everyone, like everyone out there. I know it's like, it's crazy. They just say, oh, well, your lab tests, I don't know if this happened to you. Your lab tests are normal. So you're just, you're perfectly healthy, even though you're still sick constantly. Well, that's what happened. It's like yeah. continuously like, oh, well, we don't see anything wrong. And of course, like now my understanding is very different on how we look at lab values for what I learned through biohacking myself. So I think we discounted and put people in this normal category too quickly. And we need to very much personalize medicine. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's an individual process and not everybody's the same. So how, so what did you do? So did you just struggle for your, all your teenage years and your, your twenties? And then what happened? Did your, did you go from like the doctor to doctor scenario? Oh yeah. I went from doctor to doctor. And of course, like other symptoms come up. So you see a specialist and they're like, no, it's not this. You need to go see this other specialist and back and forth. And yeah. I just declined for over 20 years. And then in my 30s, I started to get all new symptoms of different stuff, which didn't really fall under the category of fibromyalgia. And the rheumatologist told me, he's like, well, I think you have something autoimmune happening, but come back when you have something more full blown. And I just continued to decline. So by 2016, the last doctor I saw when everything was getting really bad, like yeah. I was getting lost driving home, my stomach, I could not leave. I needed to be tethered to a bathroom. I was wheelchair bound again. Um, the doctor said, well, I think your body's just giving up on you. So go home and make the best of what you have left. So that was the, one of the last doctors I saw then. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Well, I didn't have any hope that would ever get better. So I didn't yeah. know what was next. Um, right. So I felt defeated. I've always felt defeated in this system because I never had any hope that I could feel better at all. Um, but I just, for something, something clicked and I got into the biohacking world and I have a science background. I did, was able to graduate college with a biomedical degree. I really wanted to go to medical school. So I just dug into the science slowly, like anytime, if I had five minutes of brain functioning a day, <laughs> I would read and I would learn and I tested myself and learned and saw what the doctors missed actually in my lab tests. And I think that's what people need to do is they need to like, sometimes they can't, they have to do the research themselves. Or, exactly. Because the doctor's, they don't really know anything about the nutrition side and how to get you well. They just give you the medications. Well, we've never really provided yeah. them enough education yeah. to go down that route. And one of the things I know it wasn't mentioned in the beginning, but when I started getting my health back, a group of us yeah. actually started together a nonprofit. So the Support Fibromyalgia Network and that's where we really want to drive home a lot of the patient empowerment, like let's get you the information you need, like you just mentioned, yeah. and then right. also work on educating medical providers. Yeah, because I, I feel like the, the medical providers, they need the education. Yeah, we have a big project launched um, next year, and I hope you'll join us because we are inviting health coaches to join us is the Echo for Fibromyalgia 
we're using a project echo model, which is telementoring. And we're looking, it's gonna be specifically for fibromyalgia and we're gung ho about providing the education that gets to need, but building that community. Cause as you yeah. know, as a health coach, we are like a connection to the providers and an ally because we're patients first. We've, we've lived this life and have <laughs> yeah. a lived experience and had to do the work on our own. So we make a great collaborator for both sides, patient and provider. Yeah. And I actually just, I think that's so needed right now. I'm not sure if you know this, but I actually called one of the top like rheumatology places because I went there 10 years ago and I called them earlier this year and they're not providing support for people with fibromyalgia. They're not taking clients anymore. Right. So, and that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's a, so where are all these, I mean, not that they were helpful with my journey with fibromyalgia, but I mean, we're, there's some sort of like disconnect. There's definitely a disconnect that we need to address and we need to address it quickly because for years we've always sent people to rheumatologists. And I know yeah. now, like you mentioned, this is happening across the country. So right. rheumatologists can diagnose you with fibromyalgia, but they're deferring to other people for the treatment plan, like primary care physicians who we've never yeah. trained to understand fibromyalgia. We don't have, we have some fibromyalgia specialists around the country, but a lot of them have long waiting lists it's out-of-pocket expenses, right. so we really have to figure this out, and I, I really want to do this quickly because people can't be left with that, so you've figured out a pathway, but can you imagine someone else that calls that rheumatology department and gets really confused, and now they're like, wait, you can't help me? Where do I go? Yeah, and I talk to so many people all the time, and they're like, well, I just go to my rheumatology or they, and then they take the medications, but nothing's working. Or did they do the physical therapy? I think we get a lot of the same recommendations as yeah. people with fibromyalgia. And well, it's that, like, you know, it's that table there. Yeah. There's some table chart of the four-legged approach, you know, medications, yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy, and exercise, and I forget what the fourth leg is, but it's we yeah. don't talk about nutrition. We don't talk about sleep enough. Um, no, we no. don't talk about other things. And there's problem at, there's problems with both sides. I mean, we need to get the patients to be activated patients and figure out what works for them. But we also don't have a lot of research. So in that case, we can't train providers properly without the research. Yeah, that's. That's a big thing. I think you told me before that they're cutting down on the spending with the research with fibromyalgia. Yeah, we, we actually went to Capitol Hill. We did our first fibromyalgia advocacy day uh, in Washington, DC for Capitol Hill to fight for this because we, we don't get it. Fibromyalgia doesn't get enough funding as it is. So at one point we had $14 million. And if you actually look at how diseases and money I spent, um, it's, it's really small amount for fibromyalgia, but they've been steadily decreasing it. So I think now we're looking at potentially 11 million just for fibromyalgia research. But if you dig in deeper too, it's not specific for fibromyalgia. So 
we need to ensure we get an increase in research specifically for fibromyalgia. Is there any ways we can, like, what can people do to like get it so we could get it higher with that research? Can people do anything? We're doing the advocacy work. So I encourage people to get more involved with advocacy and talk to your representatives, create awareness campaign for them, um, for fibromyalgia and just let them know that we need more research. And it's interesting recently too, and I give props to our lupus friends. Um, They just announced the most, I forget what the number is in the millions, but of an increase in funding. So they've really worked for the past 10 plus years to advocate for lupus research funding. And the NIH is following through and they've just passed more money this year. It's, it's very, it's incredible the work that they've done. And I know Lyme disease is doing a great job as well. And MECFS, they're really pushing for more funding. So fibromyalgia, we need to do the same. Right. So what is, is that your, what are your plans for like the next year with the fibromyalgia and the nonprofit? We're going to, well, I mean, in the beginning we have the impact tour. So we're going to address food insecurity and quality of life for fibromyalgia. So we really want to hear from everyone what their quality of life looks like. Are they able, as we talk, both are big nutrition people. Are we, are they able to get access to the food that we talk about? Do they understand food labels, et cetera? So that's the beginning of the year, but the big, the big May push of of course is public awareness. Let's do our proclamations. Let's do a virtual Capitol Hill day, patient conferences. We're working with the veteran voices for fibromyalgia and some other groups to really hone in on patient education. And then, of course, our big launch is the Echo for Fibromyalgia project. Do you have any dates for those things or is that still in the works? Well, the impact tour, the Fibromyalgia impact tour was supposed to be actual in person. So we've switched it to virtual. That starts in February. All the proclamations and activities are going to begin in April, but May is the big takeover month for us with Fibromyalgia Awareness. Yeah. And then um, Echo Project will launch in the fall. Oh, that's cool. So what, what do you want people to take away from this interview? What should people do next after they listen to this? I'm big on empowerment. I think... Mm-hmm understanding that we have a role that we can do better for each other and ourselves within this community. So keep pushing for your health. Um, And I know it's really difficult. We feel very defeated. Keep pushing for that, being your own health advocate in your doctor's office. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to clarify um, information. Um, That's awesome. And then just, you know, get involved. We have a lot of advocacy. I would love to see a bunch of people join us, you know, virtually for Capitol Hill proclamations. Like we really need to push fibromyalgia. Yeah, I think that's a big thing this next year is to get the word out that people can get better with fibromyalgia and then get the education with the doctors and stuff. So they know that there's people out there that can help people with fibromyalgia. 
And I would love to see more research in the brain yeah. health area. I know we're right. seeing neuroinflammation as something coming out for fibromyalgia research. I'm looking forward to Dr. Younger's work and seeing what they can, but we need, we need more research like that. Let's get into understanding more of the brain functioning as well. I, I know I, I joke and nutrition. I would love to see more nutrition research studies and health coaching, yeah. which would be beneficial for the both of us. Yeah, I would love to see more like people in the health world with fibromyalgia. I I know of a few, but I mean, there's not a, nearly enough people to help people. Well, and to work together, because yeah. I think we yeah. need to have conversations about what's going on and how to help people the best way we can and sort of just magnify what their resources are and spread it out. Because it's tricky. I mean, not everyone can afford some of these specialized services. So how do we get that stuff covered when it does work for someone? So there's a lot yeah. of work to be done. Yeah. I, I find a lot of, there's, there is a few fibromyalgia doctors out there, but they're not cheap and stuff. And I think people are just tired of going from doctor to doctor. So then they start to give up. Well, and it's expensive yeah. too to it's pay expensive. out of pocket. It's expensive. I mean, my um, mom and grandma, they were paying out of pocket. And I was at one point getting like vitamin shots. And those are just really expensive just, just doing that. And I did a wellness chiropractor for like eight months. And that's None of these things are covered. That's the problem. Right. And just coming up with different solutions that people yeah. can implement right away. And I know you'll appreciate this, but my training with Dr. Terry Wallace has been incredible. And the reason I appreciate her so much is not only if she's moved, like she has MS and has been an right. inspiration in her own journey, but she talks about food first. So I think a lot of the protocols get us to do supplement, 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 and we're paying right. our pocket, but there's a lot we can do through food first. And so she really under, she's worked at the VA hospital for many years and she's worked with a lot of people with disabilities. And so she understands the steps to take. So like frozen foods and get encouraging people, if you need to start there, or if you right. want how to shop at a dollar general or how to shop at these stores a little bit more productive to get more vegetables into your life. So I've been incredibly inspired by her nutritional approach. Yeah. I, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check her out, but I find people say to me a lot. I don't know if you get this a lot too with they'll, they'll say automatically, they'll say to me, well, I already eat a good diet. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Because we're all very different. And I think I find people, they think they eat a good diet, but they really don't, if that makes sense. Do you find that? Yeah, and I think like, you know, we meet everyone where they're at. So yeah. I think it's trying to understand what, <laughs> what they were willing to work on. And it's hard because- I know some people get turned off. I know I was turned off early on 
with nutrition because I didn't actually think, well, or I would try going gluten-free and that wouldn't help. Like I'd be like, okay. So I didn't understand that there were going to be multiple things that I had to do. (laughs) I know. I, I think the big trend is go gluten-free and that's going to solve your, all your health issues. I'm like, I always tell people it's never just one thing that's going to fix you. It's hard. And I mean, yeah. I want to, I want to be honest with people out there. Like it's, it's yeah. tricky, but we're all it's different tricky. too. Some people I, feel really good when they take out gluten, like they feel awesome. Other people need other things, which makes this so much more complicated. Yeah. For, for me personally, I had to cut out the gluten, the soy, the eggs and dairy because they were all really high and but I wasn't celiac, but it was like the highest in the pro and the wellness chiropractor who I was seeing at the time. He's like, Oh, yours is the highest I've ever seen. Oh, interesting. And so, I mean, I've been off of those for nine years. So, I mean, I think people think we're with nutrition it's very like basic. Oh, I'm just going to eat this and it's going to, and I'm eating healthy. And I always tell people it's, it's nutrition can be very complex. And that's why you always have to like make changes slowly, or you might have to make changes drastically depending on where you are and how motivated you are. Yeah, I know for me personally, I had to make changes pretty drastically, but I also, I dove in, I got nerdy and dove into my genetics. So I know people won't be able to see it behind me, but I have this large pathway poster behind me doing all the breakdowns of genetics um, because I am, I have the MTHFR and all of the above, which I have a very slow processing system. Uh So I do have to, you know, maneuver through nutrition a little differently than what I realized. So it's interesting though, but I mean, that's just one part of the puzzle. Yeah. And they, the wellness chiropractor said for me, he's like, well, you have two genes that predispose you to that gluten sensitivity. So one set from each parent. So, I mean, we're all so different in our body and how our and just how every how everything works exactly and recognizing that is important and also making sure we don't pass judgment on a variety of people because it it is difficult it's it's difficult to take on these things and make these changes especially when you're used to just running around from doctor to doctor and you know, is such an upsetting process. I remember so many times coming back and I was just in tears Yeah, um, because I had no answers. Yeah. Because, because we're pushed in, we're pushed to go to the doctor and then the doctor just refers us to the next doctor. And then we're crying. (laughs) At least I was crying a lot because the doctor just not giving you any answers and you don't feel any better. Exactly. And I remember going to my GI doctor because I think I've been bouncing around for a while with the possibility of something like endometriosis. So I've been going back to the 
OBGYN is like, well, I don't know. It might be like, you first have to get checked out with the GI doctor. So I go the I've just been having, I had a lot of GI issues and I remember the doctor, he didn't, I, I tried the re, like regular medical protocol medication. He's like, well, I don't know what to do. So he took me, there's a pharmaceutical closet. He started handing me random like pharmaceutical stuff to try. Jeez. I broke down crying. I felt so bad. He's an amazing doctor. He's super nice, but I just started crying. And the look on his face was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> But that's our reality for many people. I think that's our reality no matter what health issue we have. If they don't have the answers, they're just going to say, oh, well, you could go to the next doctor. <laughs> so I know until we're running around to a lot of other specialists trying to figure it out, it is getting better. I will say there are different trains of thought now with integrative medicine, functional medicine. So there's, they're looking at root causes and they're trying to do better. So that's good. It's a good sign. And I know there's people out there in fibromyalgia community who have wonderful doctors and I'm always celebrating them. I'm like, yes, thank you. I'm so <laughs> glad that you have a great doctor that's working with you. Yeah. That's what I tell people all the time. Like, oh, if you have a good doctor and you're, as long as you're feeling better, that's the main thing. Right. Cause no, they're not our, they're actually doc. I mean, providers are supposed to be on our team. So it's yeah. our teammates. So we got to figure out how to help our teammates. I know it, it's difficult because they just like the system doesn't help is not very helpful right now, but our providers are our teammates. So let's figure out how to like support them and bring them up and build that community for them as well. Yeah. It all comes back to like community. Right. And building that community of all of us working together, all of us, you know, advocates and providers and coaches and nutritionists, like let's all figure out how to work together. Yeah, because we need a people need a team and the doctors, they could diagnose you, but they don't have the time to spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes getting down to what what you need to change. You might need to change your food. You might need to change your stress. It probably is really high, your sleep. So we need like a team of people to work together because I feel like in, right now, people think with the doctors, we'll just... I'll, I'll go to the doctor and that will, and I don't have to go to anyone else, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So there's so many allied professionals and even just embracing our nurses and nurse. Um, yeah. And our mental health providers and all of that is all integral part of our health. Yeah. I think the, I find lately when I do these podcast interviews that I do, it's all if your mindset isn't there to get better, then you're just, you, you probably are going to give up. And that's sad, but we don't want you to give up. 
Well, and that's the big thing yeah. is like, we don't want our community members to give up. I mean, I was there, so yeah. it's not like <laughs> I installed healthy eating from the get-go. Yeah. Even at, I mean, at <laughs> college years, I was chowing down as much pizza and Krispy Kreme donuts you could imagine with my staple of Coca-Cola and chocolates. <laughs> So because yeah. I was so angry, like I was really upset because I tried stuff and it didn't work. So I'm like, why am I even going to bother? Um, so you create this rebellious sort of attitude towards it, but then it's, you have to embrace multiple things and change. So how do we best support um, the community with this? Because it is challenging. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of different aspects that everybody needs support in. Exactly. And what that looks like and also adjusting to different modes of movement. Um, yeah. Uh, even though I played sports before, I do not do that now. So I've tried to do some vegetable gardening. So I started growing my own food. So at least I can get out there, but I can't necessarily, people go walk for a run for a mile. I'm like, I am just happy right now to be doing my laundry and I can do the dishes and right. I have to lie down flat. So, well, that's the other thing is people, I mean, movement would be an other thing that eventually people should start doing. But what does that look like for each person? Everyone's different. So, and what you like too, because I'm not necessarily a big fan with yoga, especially because it's on the floor. Like I have to do something with chairs, um, if that, but uh, it's just, I don't know. That's probably why I gravitated to more of the growing my own food. It's a little bit more focused because if I sit there, even in a chair trying to do yoga and focus and I'm sitting in my room, I start to look at everything that I need to do or, oh gosh, my room is messy or, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm not a yoga person at all. And it's hard. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really into weights and stuff. So that's my thing. Oh, see, that's good. But it's all, we just have to encourage people to find what brings them joy with all this stuff or what do you enjoy doing rather than forcing yourself in one box um, right. and then you just hate doing it yeah and I think a lot of times with exercise people just think well I need to burn off the calories and I'm like no do something that you enjoy don't worry about that Right. And find the movement to it. And just yeah. so many things and even dancing. If people love to just dance, even if it feels silly to you, I mean, you're moving your body in a great way. And if you love music, you'll enjoy it too. Yeah. And I always tell people we're not going to start with, I mean, exercise could be at the bottom of the list. I, but if you want to do exercise, you can, it's just, it's up to the person. Yeah, and up to it's what? a collaboration with whoever you work with. You want to collab. You want they could give you the recommendations, but if it's not going to work for your lifestyle, then that's not going to get get you to feeling better. It right. has to work for you. Yeah. And that's what we want people to recognize too, is finding stuff that really works for you. I mean, what may work for another person may not work for you and that's okay. 
Yeah, I think, and I think that a lot of times, I think we're in society, we are told, people get told, well, this worked for me. <laughs> so it's going to work for you. And I tell people, we're all different. So not everything's going to work for everybody. Right. And I love the idea of like personalized medicine, precision yeah, medicine. Yeah, personalized. It really yeah. gets to the heart of that. I mean, it's good we have these conversations on brainstorming to learn about what has worked for each other. But then it's like, okay, so if you're interested in trying it, it's, it's an experiment. But if you don't like doing it at the end of the day, or if it hurts more, or you end up like really just in a major flare after doing it, then there right. needs to be enough. You can try something else. Yeah. And I, it, I think people need to realize your health is a journey. You're never going to be maybe a hundred percent, but if you got to like, I mean, I was bit, I was on the couch. I couldn't do anything for a couple of years. So you have to get to a point where you're sick of that. And then you get, you want to get better. And if the, even if that's like 70%, 80%, 60%, I mean, you want to just be able to have a life again. And that's the big mission is getting people to have a life again so they're not struggling. And just bringing back some of the aspects that they enjoy yeah. is important. Yeah. Like the daily activities, like, I don't know if, I remember taking a shower and it was excruciating. Right. And I mean, now I take a shower and I don't have that issue. It, and it, it would exhaust me. And we want to get people back to doing daily activities, even if it's just like taking a shower or cooking or something. A lot of people just can't do those activities. Oh, yeah. And that's why I always laugh and chuckle when I say laundry, because I put that in <laughs> to make sure. I love that. Well, because you, you know how exhausting laundry was. And I remember days of doing laundry, like I would actually just, I would finish up, put my clothes in the basket and literally sit in the basket because I could not move like stuff like that. I would just send me into a flare. And I was like, how am I supposed to get through stuff if I can't even do laundry? <laughs> yeah. But now I, I think going through, I mean, for me personally, it going through not not being able to take a shower and not being able to like even go to the store or like because that would totally exhaust me out I mean you don't take those things for granted now right and I think that's a big thing well and how happy would people be if they could do or cook you know with their family yeah bake cookies or something like that. Although I just said cookies or make themselves <laughs> a good or cook a, like a favorite meal that they've always had. Um, just, or even, you know, get outside with, you know, their family again. Yeah. It's not even, we're not even saying anything huge that you're going to, I mean, some people might want to go back to work or whatever, but I mean, just starting to get back to doing like daily activities so you have more joy in your life correct is the big thing 
Right. And ending sort of that frustration too of, you know, relying on the healthcare system to do all the work and all that defeat, like we mentioned before, right. crying after you see a doctor's appointment. Yeah, you, you have to get to a point where you realize the doctor can't do the work for you. And you have to do, you're going to have to do some work. But it might not be, it might be very simple, like action steps that you have to take to get better. It might be super hard. Like I had to do elimination diet and that's not the easiest thing for people, but you have to start and you have to keep going. Exactly. So is there anything else you would love to tell my audience? Well, I just, again, it's that empowerment. So, you know, I encourage everyone to please just get involved with advocacy and the work that needs to get done. And even in your own communities, if you have a support group or you run a page or a blog, like just know that you're not alone in this fight. All of us are working really hard. So I invite everyone to come to the table and have these conversations with each other. Um, you know, if you feel alienated, we definitely don't want you to do that. So, you know, please join in all these events and the things that we're working on because we, we need the voices. We actually, you know, we have millions of us to make and create change. So let's be unified and let's execute on these changes. Yeah. I'm going to put all of these in the show notes so you guys could follow Melissa and join in all these events. And I'm so excited to see where this next year takes us both. And thank you so much for joining this episode. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to having you involved with our yeah. advocacy. I'm, I'm totally going to get involved 